0: Great to see you all. We are starting a new sermon series this week. It's called Take Heart, Jesus's Words, the Words of Jesus to the Wounded and Weary. It's a study in the Gospel of Matthew looking at 12 different uh, words of hope that Jesus gave to people. These words carried with them great power to change the lives of the people who heard them. So um, I'm excited about this series, and we're gonna begin this week with Jesus's words Be clean from Matthew 8. Be clean. There was a social scientist that went to a park with his friends some time ago. And they went to play frisbee and to hang out. And at some point they're playing frisbee. And the friends of the social scientists just started to throw the frisbee to one another. And he's just standing there, like, what's up? Like, why aren't you throwing the frisbee to me? What what's what's the deal here? And it was, it was a, enough of an experience for him that he realized, like, I want to actually study this in my work. So he, he and a colleague did a scientific study uh, based around the pain of feeling left out and rejected. And they designed something called Cyberball. Cyberball is um, a, uh, it's an online game of catch with three people. And Eventually, the two other players begin throwing the ball only to one another, and the, the person whose brain is actually being studied is left out, and they, they studied the data from the brain scan of these people who were left out, and here's what they found. The American Psychological Association said this about their, their findings. Compared with volunteers who continue to be included, those who are rejected Show increased activity in the brain regions that respond to physical pain. As far as your brain is concerned, a broken heart is not so different from a broken arm. Now, you don't have to read about this in a scientific study to know that it's true, right? Every day is a new chance to experience how painful it is to be left out, to be rejected. Have you ever been in that situation? You know, you're at the park. And the Frisbee is literally not coming your direction. And you're like, what, am I just, you think I can't throw it good or something? But well, There's all kinds of other similar experiences. You see several friends out uh, together for dinner at a fun restaurant. you like scrolling Instagram or you're, scroll- you're just strolling by on the street and you're like, what the heck? I guess I wasn't invited to this. Um, Or what about you and a colleague meet up and you're really excited to share some ideas for the project and, uh, and they kind of get really dismissive with you and end the meeting as soon as possible? Or what about this? You apply for a job. You put your heart into the cover letter and several weeks later, all you get back is a very polite, short letter thanking you for your interest. Or what about this... A leader that you respect pours into others, but doesn't seem to notice you at all. Or maybe this, just any instance of being unfriended, turned down, or just not tossed to. The Frisbee was not given to you. You can feel the pain physically. Literally, your body registers it as an injury. And you think, there must be something fundamentally flawed with who I am that this rejection took place. Sometimes people can feel untouchable. Sometimes people can just feel unworthy or dirty or just not having anything good to offer, not being worth anybody's time. And so enough of these experiences, what happens is that we begin to stop going to the park to play frisbee. We begin to stop going out with our friends. We begin to stop putting our ideas out there. We actually shrink back. We shrink back into the corner, hoping not to be noticed because the pain of rejection is so intense. And the pain of shame on the other end of rejection is even worse. In other words, rejection can actually begin to reduce our life smaller than God intends it to be. Isn't that true? Rejection can actually reduce our life smaller then what Jesus intended when he gave us breath, when he gave us a chance to live this life, gave us a body, rejection can actually cut us down smaller than he intends us to be. Now, today is a story about Jesus and a man who was a walking embodiment of rejection. Everything about his life was left out, rejected, tossed aside. And then Jesus encountered him. And so this story is an opportunity for us to take heart on the other end of rejection, on the other end of pain, on the other end of feeling left out. If you've ever felt that pain, if you've ever felt it's like it's not a physical injury, but it's just as painful or more painful, take heart because we're going to see how Jesus responds to someone who has experienced rejection their whole life now, the tension begins immediately as the story begins in verse 1 of Matthew 8. Matthew 8 verse 1 says, When he, Jesus, came down the mountain, great crowds followed him. At this point in his life, Jesus has just, giving, uh, has just finished giving his famous Sermon on the Mount. This sermon stands as one of the most influential speeches in all of human history. In that sermon, the great teacher Jesus challenged people to love their enemy. He called us all to discover a life without anger and a life without worry and a life without lust. He told us that we were salt. He told us that we were light. He called us to be a shining city on the hill. And this sermon reverberates today. Jesus was the purest, cleanest, most blameless man who ever walked the face of the earth. His imagination was clean. His actions were clean. His track record was clean. There was no blemish or spot about Jesus. And so, as he walks down the mountain in the hills of uh, walks down the hills of Galilee, and great crowds follow him, there was nothing foul about him. There was nothing fallen about him. There was only purity radiating around him. And the great crowds want this from their leader. They want a leader that they can trust. They want a new Moses who comes down the mountain having heard from God and who glows as a result, a new David, a new king. And they press to get to him. They follow him. But then verse two, behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. At some point as Jesus is walking along and the crowds are following him, a leper comes out of the shadows. He wouldn't have been with the crowd. He wasn't allowed to be with the crowd. The, mo- uh, the first thing that you or I would notice about him as soon as he comes out of the, sh- the, the shadows is his disfigured appearance. This man's skin was likely covered in red blotches and tumors, possibly missing normal human features like some of his fingers, his toes, his ears, even the tip of his nose. What's worse for this man is his exclusion from society. Um, leprosy was considered unclean in the law of Moses. This meant that in the eyes of his peers, this man was morally disfigured and spiritually disfigured. All of this uncleanness, this disfigurement, this leprosy, it was thought to be contagious. And in some cases, it was contagious. So if you came in contact with this disfigured leper, you could not only catch his moral dis- disfigurement, his physical disfigurement you would also catch his rejectability. He's rejectable, and if you hang out with him, you're rejectable. And so stay away from this guy. He had to say to everyone in his life, unclean, unclean. He had to move away from people and say, get away from me. You can't come near me. I'm unclean. I've got the leprosy. And people stayed away from him. This man could not worship the living God in the company of other people. He could not make a meaningful living. Either he survived on his own or he lived with other lepers in a leper colony. And that was all he knew. Suffice to say, people treated this man as dangerous and defective and rejectable. Society told him that he was a filthy offense to God. And he was a filthy offense to other people. Everyone around this man recoiled, and he was taught to recoil from them. So, what courage it must have taken for this man to walk up to Jesus and bow down before him and say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. To instead of recoiling from the cleanest man on earth, the spotless lamb, to instead of recoiling from him, to actually walk up to him and to say, if you want it, you can make me clean. The shrieks of horror must have been in the background from the crowds, like, what is he doing? This is an offensive thing. You're not allowed to get around him. He's our king. He's our Moses. Don't give him leprosy. This man is not simply curious about Jesus like the crowds. This man is ready to call Jesus Lord. He's ready to bow down to him. He's actually ready to serve him. This is not the posture of religious respectability. This is not the posture of someone just looking for a miracle or a spiritual experience. He's putting his entire messy condition, his entire rejectability, his physical condition, his spiritual condition, his social condition, under the lordship of Jesus and saying, if you want it, you can make me clean. You can make me whole. Now, this is not the route we normally take to gain acceptance, right? If we feel rejectable, we either hide or we put our best foot forward, right? We put our best foot forward, uh, Hey, here's the most presentable part of me. Here's my hard work. Here's my track record. Here's my beauty, my money, my sociability, my education, my sincerity. Because otherwise, God and people might see the leprous parts, the messy parts. Steve Breedlove says that shame is the attempt to hide the parts of ourselves we hope no one ever finds out. That's what shame is it's the the instinct to hide the parts of ourselves that no one wants to find out. Um, No one wants to catch what we are trying to hide. And we think, if you find out what I don't want you to know, you'll reject me, and if Jesus finds out, he'll reject me too. So goes the belief. Yet here's a man who takes a completely different strategy. Instead of putting his best foot forward um, for Jesus, he just bows and asks for Jesus' help. If you will, you can make me clean. I'm unclean. Somehow this man knew something very important about Jesus that most people missed. Somehow he knew it. Um, and this is that Jesus' cleanness was more powerful than his uncleanness. Jesus' cleanness was more powerful and potent than his leprous uncleanness. Bible scholar Craig Blomberg calls this the contagious holiness of Jesus, that Jesus is so holy, he's so pure that you can catch it if you get around him long enough. He spreads holiness like a good virus. You can catch it and you can become holy. One author says it like this, when Jesus, the clean one, touched an unclean sinner, Christ did not become unclean, the sinner became clean. So this man knew. Somehow he knew it. I don't know how, but he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Do you want to do it, Lord? Like, would you like to? Would you like to be contagious for my benefit? What do you think about Jesus? For those who believe in the power of Jesus to help you, do you believe that he wants to help you? Do you believe that he wants to help you? Because why would he want to heal or help the most rejectable parts of us? Why would he want to forgive the sin that clings so close to us? I mean, isn't he probably disappointed in us by now? Ever thought that? Some of us despair that we're just a frustration to Jesus because we keep having the same issues over and over again, and we feel so unfixable or we feel so needy. We think, surely he can't or won't love. Surely he can't or won't even like us. Um, He's like every other person in our life. Eventually, they get fed up and out the door we go. What does Jesus actually want to do with us? The most unclean man in, in history, you could say, confronts the most clean man in history. And does Jesus secretly want this man to just go away? To, to like, get away from me. I'm on my way to becoming the new king, the new Moses, the new David. I'm on a roll here. Preach a great sermon, a new nation's being born, a new kingdom, and eh, we really don't have time for you. Would he rather us just put our best foot forward and hide the rest? Let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, or I want this. Be clean. I will. I want to do this. Be clean. I want to do this. I want this. Be clean. That's what Jesus wants. That's his deep heart for this man. Dane Ortland asks this question What did Jesus do when he saw the unclean? What was his first? Impulse when he came across prostitutes and lepers. He moved toward them. Pity flooded his heart, the longing of true compassion. Jesus wanted to heal this leper even more than this leper wanted himself to be healed. Think about that. Jesus wants to forgive and cover every wrong act you've ever done in your life more than you long for forgiveness. That's what he wills, that's what he wants. Jesus wants to heal every malady of the body or soul even more than you want to be healed. Jesus wants to make you clean and restore every part of your life even more than you want to be a better person. His timing may be slower for us than it is for this leper. We put that in his hands. Sometimes it it is in the life to come where that complete healing uh, comes. But he wants good for us, body and soul. He wants to build us up. That's his heart. That's his want. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His moral cleanness is still contagious, and you can catch it from him still. Even though our sin is still an offense to him, our souls are precious to him. He wants to take away our sin so that he can claim our souls forever. That's what he wants. And so he speaks this word, I will be clean. Notice that in verse three, he stretched out his hands and touched him. Now, to our ears, here's what it sounds like. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Like, okay, now go away. I touched you, okay, bye. But the double emphasis of the physical action of Jesus is more like this. It's more like an embrace it's more like an arm around the shoulder. It's more like a full-on appropriate physical contact that communicated that let him transfer his cleanness and his healing in an embodied physical way that showed the posture of inclusion of a man who had only known the opposite. Um, renowned family therapist Virginia Satter once said this, we need four hugs a day for survival. We need eight hugs a day for maintenance. We need 12 hugs a day for growth. Yet for years, this leper likely went without any hugs at all. People weren't allowed to. Um, All his life had been like a Siberian tundra of human contact. And in this moment, as Jesus stretched out his arms, stretched out his hands, and touches this man, It's like the warm sun, the sun of righteousness, coming up and warming his entire being. Jesus still extends this embrace through his Holy Spirit and his followers. Mother Teresa spent her life giving physical care to the lepers from the Calcutta streets. And she says this, Let us touch the dying, the poor, the lonely, and the unwanted according to the graces we have received. And let us not be ashamed or slow to do the humble work. There's a connection between the physical and the spiritual for the leper and for us. Let's not forget that. Our world likes to separate the spiritual and the physical. Jesus cares about our bodies. He cares about the physical and the spiritual. When we come to Jesus to be made whole, he restores not only our soul, but also our bodies as well. In the creed, we confess together that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. Our future in Christ is physical and embodied. And that's why Jesus touched lepers and ministers to our bodies now. Salvation touches us in physical ways through the work of the local church, hospitality, gathered worship, the waters of baptism, and the bread and wine of communion. What about the anointing oil that is applied to the sick person that James talks about in uh, James 5 And yes, the hugs and the handshakes of the saints, which say to us, you are not rejected. On behalf of Christ, I extend you peace. And that peace is not just a word. It's also physical. In a COVID appropriate way, of course. Sometimes our bodies have internalized the trauma of sin. Often they do. Um, Maybe it's our own sin. Maybe it's someone else's sin against us. And we carry the stress around like a burden. It could be that we have shame around our physical condition, shame around a memory of the mind, and this is something that you can always bring to Jesus. He cares about these things. One way that we make it possible is that on either side during communion, we have prayer ministers, and they're, if with your permission, they're ready to lay hands on you and use anointing oil or use uh, holy water to extend the power of Jesus to your life in any ways that it has internalized itself in your own body and physical condition. If you're streaming the service or taking COVID precautions, a prayer minister can meet with you over the phone or Zoom, or if you stay after the service, outside, if you'd rather do that. Where evil and suffering or rejection has broken us down, Jesus is ready to build us back up. Here's what theologian Jürgen Moltmann said about that. When Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, He's driving out of creation the powers of destruction. And he's healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. Jesus' healings are not only supernatural miracles in a natural world. They're the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. He's bringing God's natural restored order back to our life. Everything that rejection has cut down, everything that wounding has cut down, everything that shame wants to eliminate, Jesus is ready to build back up. That's what he wants. Jesus has taken away this man's leprosy. He's stretched out his hands. He's given this man the embrace of the Lord, and he's made him clean both spiritually and physically. Yet he's not done with this man. He has a very specific way for the man to participate in his own restoration. And now um, he is ready to experience hope and healing and transformation. Verse four, Jesus said to him, "Um, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus doesn't say just simply set this man loose. Like, hey, you're healed. Now you can be a Christian leper. Go back to your life. Quite the opposite. Jesus sets before this man a series of difficult tasks and he expects him to do it. First, don't tell anyone what happened. Um, Exercise your self-control to tell everyone that you see. Um, And uh, because Jesus doesn't want to attract people that just wants a miracle. Um, He actually wants disciples. And so Jesus calls this man to, if he has a leper colony, leave your leper colony. Don't explain why. Secondly, Go show yourself to the priest. Don't just show yourself to me. Show yourself to the priest to demonstrate to the community that you are free of leprosy. Now, this would have been an eight-day examination process. And then third, offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. This was a gift of cleansing. And in order to make it, he would have had to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Make a long, hot journey all the way down. Make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem make that gift, and then come all the way back. Why would Jesus give this man all this stuff to do? Um, well, you know, the thing is that he doesn't, he doesn't patronize him. He actually um, wants him to become part of society again, even though that's uncomfortable, even though that's going to take a lot of courage. It's, it's exercising the muscles of his God-given humanity. Um, he needed more than spiritual healing, this man. He actually um, needed to re-enter society and work out his salvation um, with trembling. And this man needed to exercise a new set of powers, the power to talk to people, the power to worship at the temple, the power of self-control and endurance, the power to live as a forgiven man with something to offer his community. Here's what John Stott says about our vocations. The whole of our life belongs to God and is part of um, our calling, both before conversion and outside religion. We must not imagine that God first became interested in us when we were converted or that now he is interested only in the religious bits of our life. That's the, the same is true for this guy. God is not simply interested in this man converting or being free of leprosy. He wants him to be human again. That's when he says, be clean. He's saying, Be human. Be human. Ajith Fernando is a Christian leader in Sri Lanka, which is an island in South Asia. And in his work with the poor of Sri Lanka, um, Ajith and his team discovered a strong connection between evangelism and education. Many of the youth from the poor families in Sri Lanka dropped out of school by the age of 14. Their families encouraged this so that they could contribute to the finances of the family. And they also carried with them severe um, mental health challenges from a life of poverty. And so there's no safety net. There was a lot holding them back. And so Ajith and his team decided, you know what? We're going to preach the gospel of Jesus to the poor. And we will provide education and career training beyond the age of 14. We'll pray for them and provide mental health coaching. Their whole lives matter to God from birth to death and everything in between. Now, what happened to this man after he was cleansed? Um, well, the thing is, he did go ahead and tell everybody. The Gospel of Mark includes this detail, which is not in the Matthew reading. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer empty, enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So, no problem entering society there. Um, I just find it interesting that this man who was so clearly probably gifted as a, like an evangelist, an extrovert, his whole life had to just keep his distance from people. And on the other end of Jesus meeting him, the man who was always pushing people away saying unclean, unclean is saying, Jesus made me clean. Come and see. You can, you can make your own inspection. And that's what he did probably for the rest of his life. Hopefully he made the gift that Moses offered too. Um, Now, listen, if you saw Jesus coming around the bend and you had a window of time to ask him for anything, what would you ask him for? Knowing that he wouldn't keep you at an arm's distance, what do you need from him to become fully human? It it could be forgiveness. It could be the wrong that you've done or help to forgive the wrong done to you. A lack of forgiveness blocks the streams of God's mercy in our life, and Jesus is ready to restore that stream. It could be rejection, criticism, or abuse that has cut you down. The actions of another person that's caused injury and pain. You can ask Jesus to to build your life back up. Not only healing the place of injury, but restoring your God-given contribution that he's put you on this earth to make. Or maybe there is just like a heavy cloud over you after this year. And, and that cloud needs to lift. Could be an addiction, could be depression, could be some kind of spiritual darkness. Jesus, you know, He's the Son of Righteousness that's ready to scatter the darkness from before your path. In the words of the old hymn, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready stands to save you, full of pardon, love, and power. He is able. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. Take heart, my friends. The Lord wants you to be clean. The Lord wants you, and he wants me, to be human again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.